And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Lori Reddington, intuitive therapist with a master's degree in mental health counseling. She has had multiple near-death experiences, which we will talk about today and more. Lori, thank you for joining me and welcome. Well, thank you for having me, sir. Lori, let's start with your NDEs and go from there. Sounds good. Well, um, the medical profession considers me a medical miracle because I've had so many near-death experiences that were medical in nature and also multiple accidents. So I'd like to tell you a little bit about the earlier ones and um, how young I started with these NDEs. Um, I went to the World's Fair with my parents in when I w- was growing up in New York. Uh, I we we went in onto the overhead tram, and um, we were it, up in flight, and I wiggled and got out underneath the bar and fell out of the tram, and a. A big, beautiful African-American man caught me like a football right before I hit the ground. I was only 18 months old. That was my first near-death experience. So I I don't remember any, any out-of-body experience with that one, but it's just a fact that um, once again, I was meant to be here. I was meant to do my good work or I would have been taken. <laughs> um, the other one that I wanted to talk about briefly um, was a really kind of interesting situation. I went to see Alice Cooper in concert and I was, I think, 15 years old at the time. My mother was very ill and she had all kinds of prescription medications. And I took some Valium and um, drank a whole bunch of booze and I was at the concert and I passed out and blacked out onto the floor and I felt myself hover above my body and I said to at the time I was very religious I said Jesus I'm not ready to go yet I want to see this concert I paid for it <laughs> and they had called the 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 paramedics cuz I stopped breathing and they came running down and I just jumped up and turned around and Alice Cooper was singing I love the dead before they're cold <laughs> So I thought that was kind of apropos for the moment. (laughs) When you were outside of your body, were you able to see it laying there on the ground? Yes. I I, I looked down and um, my, my legs were higher than my face. So I was, it was as if I was tilted towards my body. And so did anything else happen with that NDE? Well, I ended up driving home that night. Even I got so sobered up that um, the other drunks that were on the trip weren't able to drive, and I had didn't even have a driver's license. So <laughs> I drove home, but I didn't have any other paranormal experiences. All right. Well, let's move forward to your most impactful NDE. Okay, that'd be great. Um, it's it's um, the story. However, starts. Um, with 
what went on um, that year. Um, it, it all kind of um, makes sense once I tell the story, but I, I don't want to go right to the, the, the moment I died. I want to talk about how I got there. Um, I lived in Sedona at the time, and I was a director of sales and marketing for Poco Diablo Resort. And I also did a whole bunch of volunteer work um, and was part of a 12-step program. So I had 80-hour work weeks, and I went up on New Year's Day to Bell Rock to pray and meditate. And I went up there to pray and meditate and went up a different trail. I went up a trail and sat down and was listening to Native American flute music. And I felt myself have an out-of-body experience where um, the music was carrying me floating over the rock. And um, when I went to climb down from there, I went down a different path than I went up. And I wasn't wearing hiking boots. I was wearing moccasins. I did all the wrong things, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, I got to a place on Bell Rock where I couldn't go up and I couldn't go down. I was stuck. And so the um, a couple and their teenage son came along and um, they were going to help me get down off the rock. When I went to turn myself around, I flew off the rock. One person caught an arm, another person caught a leg, and my left leg went down and I broke my leg in seven different places. Then um, I went back to work through the cast up on the desk and kept working. I had prayed and meditated for time off from work <laughs> and I got my time off from work. So what happened once I got the cast taken off was um, that I went on a sales trip down to Scottsdale and um, came back and my, my um, husband at the time was still drinking. He's been sober, God bless him now for 20 years, but he um, was abusive. So I left him and I was staying in a trailer park down um, by the creek with the chef from work and um, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. I had polyps that were cancerous and I basically didn't, couldn't go back. I, I had left my husband with just the clothes that were in my week long trip and I couldn't go back there and I had no place to go. So I went into, sat down at the creek and was praying and crying. And one of the people from work came along and said, do you see that purple trailer? It was actually a lilac purple <laughs> trailer. <laughs> she said, I know the person that owns that. Why don't I connect you? And so I met the lady and it turned out that it was their getaway spot. He was a real estate tycoon and it, um, this over overlooked the creek and the lady said this has a portal to the other side in here and you're supposed to be here to heal she gave me the keys to the mobile and said stay as long as you need to, to and pay me whatever you can afford um so um i went back to work after getting the colon polyps removed and i was whining and dining one of my clients and I doubled over in pain and I thought it was my ulcers because I had ulcers, but 
it turns out it was pancreatitis. And pancreatitis is a disease where your pancreas blows up like a balloon. And if it bursts, you die. And they can't do anything to heal it except to give you pain medicine. So I was hospitalized in Flagstaff Medical for two and a half months, no food, no water. And I had catheters feeding me. And what happened was one of the catheters got infected. It was, I was running 103 degree fever and I couldn't, they couldn't break the fever. They couldn't find an antibiotic that worked for me. And so um, I, I, I was given last rites. I was um, Catholic at the time or practicing Catholic. I'm a Christian non-denominational minister now. I was ordained. Um, the um, catheter got infected, 103 degree fever. They said I wasn't gonna make it through the night and I was given last rites. And then what happened was um, the fever broke. I was soaking wet. They rushed me into surgery. They cut me from breastbone to belly button. And that's when uh, I hovered over my body and I saw the surgery going on. I actually watched the surgery. And um, what happened next, I know people talk about a white tunnel. I had a psychedelic swirling colors tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel, I was greeted by two spirits. The first spirit was identified as Our Lady of Guadalupe, which in, in Mexico is Mother Mary. And she said to me that I needed to change everything about my life, that nothing about my life could slightly resemble what it was, what it was like before. And the second spirit was an, um, an Asian master um, one that you would picture with the long white beard. Um, and he said to me that my mission on the planet was to return people to love. Well, at the time when I lived in that trailer park, um, there was a man named Stan Matrunik and he had done readings for over 50 years, a quarter million readings and all. And they came to me and, um, were watching over me when I was released from the hospital and started training me because um, Stan said I had a gift and I wasn't using it. So I began um, doing psychometry, holding jewelry, um, doing runes. Um, and that's how I got, um, got into the work that I do now. Um, he died shortly after six months later, he died and we came down to Phoenix for his funeral and we couldn't find the funeral home. But what happened was he came to me in spirit and, um, I'm a medium. And, um, he said to me, I love you, Lori. I love you, Lori. I love you, Lori. And I was like, I said to Jackie, his wife, why does he keep repeating that? And she said, because you need to answer him. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I hear you, Stan. What's, what do you want to tell me? And he said, I, I have been doing these readings for 50 years. You're gifted. I want you to continue my work. And that's how I got into doing readings. Um, and that was 25 plus years ago. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology 
Um, and then I went back for my master's at the age of 50. So the mental health counseling coupled with the intuitive really help people that are in transition or need guidance and direction. And I wanted to be able to do that um, efficiently and with an education. Can you tell us any more about what those two spirits looked like? Sure. Our Lady of Guadalupe was was um, dressed in a, a shawl over her head. And um, there were symbols um, on um, a... Um, scarf that she was wearing and she had long black hair and um at the time I didn't know who the lady our lady of Guadalupe was I had to look it up <laughs> the Asian master was quite elderly and spoke very in almost like in short sentences or haikus and I, I also identified a Native American spirit that was there as well. And um, I traveled for two years on reservations with a, a medicine man um, and learned about the Ojibwa ways and the Lakota ways. Um, I also studied um, East Indian Kriya Yoga because I was, or, once I was ordained, I wanted to learn more about all the religions. So the East Indian master got me into reading about Parapananza Yogananda and Shri Yukteswar, and I was initiated into Kriya Yoga. So I've got quite a, a background in multiple um, works that are all spiritual in nature. Now you met these beings after traveling through the tunnel, right? Correct. Once you went through the tunnel, were you and the beings just standing in like a white lit room or in a forest or what did it look like? It, it actually was dark. It, um, it was as if it was, everything was blacked out. It, um, almost looking at you right now, <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's, there was no background. It was just black. And the spirits were 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 standing there almost side by side. What were you feeling at the time? I was celebrating that I was going to be alive. Um, I I had a regression during this as well, and went back in, over everyone that had hurt me in my life, and I forgave them. So I felt a big sense of relief. So you're saying like you had a life review? Yes. While you were there, was it more real than here? That's hard to say, Jeff, because I had um, no background in anything spiritual in nature other than the fact that I was brought up Catholic and I was have always believed in God. Um, I was almost, um, it was almost surreal for me because obviously I had no background or knowledge and I did quite a bit of reading and taking classes and things like that to find out more about the paranormal. How did your life change after this experience? Well, I was, as I said, I was a corporate director of sales and marketing when this all happened and I never went back to the corporate world. I started doing readings. 
I started, um, I was ordained and then started doing weddings. I've done over a thousand weddings in Sedona. Um, um, I traveled on the Indian reservations, um, studied all of the religions. Nothing in my life slightly resembled what it was like before. So I honored that first spirit. All right. So after that experience, did you have any more NDEs? I did. I've had um, two more after that. Um, one that was quite profound. Actually, they were both quite profound. Um, my um, When I was um, traveling on the Indian reservations, I did quite a bit of sweat lodges. And I also was a fire keeper and had a sweat lodge in my backyard. Um, I met a, a man in a sweat lodge and um, fell madly in love with him. I was with him for a few months. I wasn't using any birth control because they told me that I couldn't get pregnant. I had a tilted uterus and they said I would never be able to get pregnant. And um, I got pregnant <laughs> is the bottom line. Um, the, the man that impregnated me um, left my life, but I had a beautiful daughter and died during childbirth. I had, um, and um, I had, um, toxemia, jaundice, gestational diabetes, hypertension. I had everything, but this placenta separating. Um, I gained over a hundred pounds in my pregnancy. They told me I wouldn't be able to carry either. Then I had an emergency C-section. My liver, my kidneys, and my heart stopped and in childbirth. So I had the same hovering over my body experience. And um, I got to talk to my mother who had died when I was 15 years old. And it was profound because I named her middle name after my mother. And it was the first snow in Flagstaff, but I'd already had um, quite a bit of uh, medical problems to begin with. So this NDE brought me closer to believing in my mediumship. What did you and your mother talk about? She forgave me because I wasn't at the hospital when she passed away. Um, one of the things that still haunts me to this day was I couldn't see my mother with the cancer because she had, she looked like she was nine months pregnant. She was, um, basically in a comatose state. And I, as a teenager, I couldn't, I just couldn't stand seeing my mother that way. But I ended up being at a keg party when she died and, um, it was more about forgiveness. And then she wanted me to make it to, um, she, she was glad that I made it to California. We had plane tickets. We were leaving my father and my two brothers and we were moving out to California when she died. So she said, thank you for fulfilling the wish to go to California. I was there for the Rodney King riots. I was in the middle of the Rodney King riots. At the time I lived in Redondo Beach and I was paying my rent in Hawthorne. And I was pelleted with 
bricks and gunshots. So that was yet another NDE. Had you been carrying around a lot of guilt with you over not being there for your mother's death? And if so, after she forgave you, did that give you relief? Oh, Jeff, I can't. The, the relief that I felt was I, I still, I still, you know, to this day, channel her from my brother. My little brother was quite young at the time. I was like a mother to him. I started take, caretaking him at the age of 10. And to this day, she still comes through. But it, it wasn't until that NDE that I was able to channel her. So I have gratitude for the fact that this baby brought me so much in the way of um, heightening my abilities and believing in myself and the, the undying love that I had for my mother. She was a beautiful being. All right, let's move forward to your next NDE. Well, I don't know. I, I, I have two more, but um, the one that I probably should talk about is the one that happened most recently. Um, it was the day after my my daughter's um, birthday in 2018, and she was taking me to a doctor's appointment. She only had her um, driver's permit at the time, so she was a new driver. And we were pulling out of um, the parking lot at the doctor's appointment where I was, and she looked both ways and she gunned the gas. There was a guy that was speeding. He was going like 70 miles an hour on that road. And he hit us and T-boned us and the car flipped. Um, my arm was out the window at the time. I wanted to kind of show you this. I had 17 surgeries on my arm. But what happened was... Um, when the car flipped, it almost cut off my entire arm from my elbow on, and I, I lost a lot of blood. The doctor, the, the surgeon that worked on my arm said he didn't think I was going to make it. So I basically had an NDE, NDE not even five years ago. Um, the doctor himself thought it was a miracle that I lived through that accident and all the blood loss that came along with cutting my arm off. So how do you incorporate your NDEs into your mental health practice? What I tell people is because I've died so many times, I've had so much trauma in my life. There's a thin veil between me and the other side. And it's very easy for me to channel loved ones for people that had grief or loss. And I obviously can work with the five stages of grief with people. I offer packages for people that are considered short-term therapy um, where they get the coping skills that they need to deal with whatever um, life transition they happen to be in. And um, my the intuitive side of me and the medical intuitive helps to identify what might be going on with them psychologically much quicker. And rather than going and venting to someone, I'm action oriented. I use CBT and REBT 
and existential therapy. I also specialize in art therapy because I ran a group during my internship in art therapy. So um, all of those things incorporated help people to heal from whatever they need to know in the reading. And whatever they need to know in the reading can bring up life-changing advice. Was it difficult to process your NDEs? Actually, no. I think that each one of them elevated my belief in a higher power. Each one of them made me feel stronger as a person. So I, I didn't really have much difficulty processing because I, I, I took a tragedy and turned it into a learning experience. And um, with that learning experience um, gained a more heightened sense of intuition. When you were speaking with your mother and when you were speaking with the spirits, was it telepathic? Yes, it, um, it was telepathic. Um, some people have told me that I have the gift of being able to read minds. So I'm not sure, you know, intuition is a, a completely different thing. But um, I have, I'm empathic to the point where I can feel what other people feel and I can e hear their thoughts. So much so when I was in school, I used to just burst as a young kid, I would burst into tears when someone was thinking in their head that they were going to make fun of me because I was a chubby kid and you know what they do. The kids are mean, <laughs> but I used to be able to like, if someone had a headache, I felt their headache. If someone had a, a stomach ache, I felt their stomach ache. So it took me quite a bit of time to learn how to shield myself um, filter through the good things, but be able to block out other people's pain and also be able to deal with letting go when it's time to let go of a client. You know, I don't like to necessarily keep people on for years and years and years unless they have something new to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think people graduate from, um, they find their niche, they find their job, they find their mate, and they're happy. And that, to me, is my ultimate goal, is to return other people to love as well. Do you ever work with people who are suffering from death anxiety? And if so, how do you help them? Death anxiety? Mm hmm Hmm. I can, no, Jeff, I, I really, I, I haven't, I, I have women... Um, that I work with that have survived breast cancer. Um, and they have a fear of it coming back, even though they're in remission. Um, so I think that's the closest thing that I can identify to a fear of death, that people are fear um, the cancer coming back. What about people who are grieving over the loss of loved ones? Do you help them? I do. And I help them through the five stages of grief. Um, also channeling that loved one for them. Um, I always come up with something that only um, that person would say or identify what they used to nickname them or something. 
so that the people know specifically that it really is that person that I'm channeling. What are the five stages of grief? I can't. <laughs> I'm going to blank out on that one. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that one because it's too scientific right um, now, and I'm, uh, I'm not in that space. Oh, that's okay. Well, what it's acceptance, denial, anger, acceptance, um, and um, I always miss one, and the the final one would be um, forgiveness. Um, so basically people are going through, not only going through the stages of grieving, but they bounce around. In other words, they could be angry and then pass through it and start to be in a place of acceptance, but something triggers them and they go back to the angry place. So it, it, it takes up normally scientifically, they say about two years for people to get through grief. Um, that's the average amount of time. And during that time, they may, may need help going from one step to the other. And that's where I come in. I guess since you've had NDEs, you can verify or confirm for the people that we're immortal beings and we, and we go on even on the other side. That's quite true. And um, my channeling also helps them to trust that there is another side because when i channel um everything is so specific people tell me i'm 90 percent accurate in in my predictions and in my reading of the situation so with that said they can um have a belief that life goes on after death um because I'm identifying a, a person that they love very much and telling them things that only that person would know. Stan used to call it a zinger. <laughs> Are you a trance channeler? I'm conscious. Would you? I've done trance channeling. Um, however, I, I prefer not to because I've been jolted out of that trance and I left my body and wasn't able to get back in. So it has to be a really quiet environment where there's no interruptions. Um, I once was trans channeling for someone and a jackhammer went out, uh, um, went off in front of the house and it jolted me out of um, my body and I, I had a really hard time getting back into my body. You know, and I, I, I semi leave my body when I'm reading too. Um, I always feel energized at the end of every every session. Or are you connecting with your higher self, and your higher self is speaking with the being on the other side? The being on the other side is um, communicating with me telepathically, and when I read. I don't do it like a Celtic cross. I take the whole tarot deck and one card at a time. It's like a storytelling. People find out what's happened, uh, what's happening right now, what's happened in the past, and of course, future predictions. The, the step that I forgot um, is bargaining. That was, that's the, the, the step that, um, that I always seem to leave out in the five steps, but bargaining with God. You know, in other words, people will want to um, say, well, if I if I give up something 
um, can you bring that person back? They're negotiating with God, so mm. to speak. So that 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 is the um, that is the the step that I always seem to, and it's funny because it's bargaining. <laughs> that step always I always seem to skip over it. It's the third step. So when you hear another person's voice when you're channeling, do you hear it in their actual voice or in a version of your own voice? Well, that, that's really interesting, Jeff, because when I um, when I'm channeling, I hear their voice, and that's how I know that it's not self-talk, that it's not coming from me, is because I hear them and, and I actually can smell on the other side too. I've had um, a situation where I, I smelled bread baking and the woman I was channeling was a bread maker. So I, all of my senses are heightened, clear knowing, clear voyant, clear seeing, clear hearing, clear smelling. <laughs> mm. I don't know if there's a word for that. I don't know either. <laughs> so when you're channeling somebody or when you're preparing to channel, do you meditate first to be able to get in touch with, with the being? If not, always, what is the process? I always take some quiet time before every reading and get centered. And then I begin every every session with a prayer and invocation and the I call in your guides and angels and um, I pray um, in whatever way that person feels comfortable. So it could be in the name of universal love or it could be in the name of God, um, whatever it might be. But there is the the connection between myself and the client where we're praying together and that's when energetically i start picking up on their guides and angels so i'm there i'm speaking to their guides and angels during their session is it possible that a fake angel or guide could ever be communicating with you like a demon or something well, that's what part of the reason for the invocation is I always say that I only invite the guides and angels that are in the highest good. And I sage after sessions to clear the energy. But I, the one experience, I've had only one bad experience. And that was, um, I had a really interesting, a funny story. I uh, I was I got on a plane when my father passed away, and he, um, you know, they they say they're going to give you a grievance fare, but it's always like seven hundred dollars. Okay, I got on this plane and I buckled up and I turned to the lady next to to me and I said, I, "We're not going to. This plane is going to go down. We're not going to make it." Oh. And she was like frozen in her seat. Well, we got up to 10,000 elevation and something hit the window in first class and we started decompressing and then the plane went whoosh, 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 and we were right over an airport, but we lost altitude. The plane didn't make it. <laughs> so she told everybody <laughs> what happened and I ended up doing like, 20 sessions in Long Island because I'd flown into um, LaGuardia. I had, um, it paid for my trip. 
<laughs> so intuition does really help sometimes. And while we were waiting for the plane, people were coming up for the next plane because obviously we couldn't go back on that plane. Um, people started coming up to me and I was giving them impressions, you know, energetically. And then I was invited to the cockpit by the, by the flight attendant. Um, so I did readings for the, <laughs> for the people that were flying the plane and they said, are we, you know, are we safe? <laughs> but anyway, the one experience was a woman had me channeling. She said that she was being bothered by a negative spirit. Um, it ended up being voodoo mm. and she didn't tell me and it, it physically, I felt ill. I felt ill in in my stomach, and that was the one time. Because I do house clearings as well. I go into spaces where um, negative spirits are, and I clear the house. <laughs> so when I pray and invoke the guides and angels, I always make sure that I, I add that I only want those in the highest good. I can't say that there's any fake, quote unquote, fake angels that come through um, because I, I asked to manifest everything that would be in the highest good of the person. Are there any more near-death experiences well, there is one more, Jeff, that I wanted to talk about briefly, um, because this was um, one that actually changed my life quite a bit as well. Um, we, um, I was dating this gentleman, and my daughter was, I think, seven at the time, and we lived in Sedona, but there was really nowhere to go shop, so we would always go up to Flagstaff. Well, we went up to Flagstaff and it was the, in, in July, so it was the summertime and the elks and the deer come out during that time. So we were driving home and I was really tired. So I didn't want to take the chance of driving. And I asked the boyfriend at the time to drive. Well, he was speeding and I said, don't do that. There's animals that come out in the road. Well, little you know, obviously that was an intuitive hit because there was a bull elk, 2000 pound elk in the middle of the road. And we slammed into that, totaled the car. My head <laughs> hit the ceiling, even though I had seatbelts on and I was knocked out unconscious. Um, I ended up passing out my daughter thought that I was dead she was screaming and crying and that near-death experience led me to sue try to sue um my own insurance company but it didn't work out and I I had a what's called a traumatic brain injury and the traumatic brain injury made me not be able to finish sentences. I couldn't count out change. I had to retrain myself how to learn, how to speak, how to count. So that near-death experience really changed my life. It took me two years 
before I started being able to speak eloquently again. I still have difficulty reading. I have to read one line at a time because I can't, I can't process um, reading without really concentrating and focusing. So that, that near-death experience changed my life as well. Did you go out of body during that experience? Yes, that was, that was definitely an out-of-body experience. Um, I was in clouds. That's the, that's where I was in the middle of clouds, looking down out of the clouds at my body that was passed out on the front seat. Um, it always seems like when I have an NDE, since it's not my time, I just snap back into my body. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It feels like um, I'm not doing anything to force it. I just end up waking up. All right. You lived in Sedona. Did you ever see any UFOs out there? I had two really fantastic UFO experiences. Um, the, um, the first one I drove out, um, there is a road out in between Enchantment and um, Cottonwood that used to be just dirt road and there was really no buildings on it. Um, I used to drive out there and park the car and lay on the hood and look at the stars because you can see a lot of stars in Sedona. <laughs> so I was driving um, on that road and it ends up that a UFO was hovering above my car and the speedometer and all of the gauges started swirling in a clockwise direction. And my lights started blinking on and off and on and off and on and off. And the electronics were just going wacky. Um, when I looked up, there was a, a glowing light in the sky and it wasn't a star and it wasn't a plane because it was making zigzaggy turns, you know, ones that a helicopter can't make or a plane can't make. And that um, lasted for maybe, I don't know, five minutes, but it was a very profound experience for me. That reminds me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where yeah, his yeah. <laughs> car was, the electronics were doing wild stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the other, the other UFO experience I had was, um, I was down in the village of Oak Creek visiting with a friend and um, hovering above Bell Rock was a cylindrical figure. I mean, it was so big and so prominent that you it couldn't have been anything else but a UFO. Um, the other time I saw that cylindrical figure was down at um, Red Rock Crossing. And there is a rock formation called the Pyramid. It was hovering above the pyramid. Um, the um, Jackie, the Stan Matrunik's wife, told me that the 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 pyramid um, 
is a, a perfect isosceles triangle to the pyramids in Mexico and the pyramids in Egypt, that it's a perfect isosceles triangle. That's why the, the UFOs are attracted to pyramid rock. Um, and that time there was actually two ships. Do you think that you have the ability to see them because of your NDEs? Well, other people were outside looking up. So <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that um the the one experience when I was by myself, I think that um they came to me to more or less to communicate that they I, I felt a, a sense of well being, like they were there to help me, you know, because when I go to be alone and pray and meditate, it's almost always because I'm in crisis. And when I am, I take time off from my work and I just focus on me. So during that near um, during that uh, UFO experience, um, I felt um, a, a sense of well-being wash over me. So I would say I was communicating with them, not telepathically necessarily, but feeling the good that they brought. Are the vortexes in Sedona real? Well, <laughs> that's an interesting story. Um, I met the woman that coined the phrase. Um, now I've forgotten her name, but that's okay. Not important. But she... Um, she, God bless her, she was over 300 pounds. And so the energy spots that she found that she called vortexes were always right off the road because she couldn't hike in any further than that. There is energy that you can feel. I, I, when I take someone to a masculine vortex, I lay hands on the person and they can feel the vibration coming up through their spine. That's why they sit right onto the rock or lay right onto the rock to feel it. So they're, they're, they are real. These energy spots are real. But I also found a place like in Indian gardens where it's playful energy. Like I can hear the children playing um, and it makes you want to jump rope or do something childlike. So I have found energy spots that are not on the vortex map. The vortex map, like I said, most of them are now they're overrun with people. That's one of the sad things about Sedona. It should have been a national park, I think, <laughs> because it, it, the, however many 30 million people trod through these vortexes now, you know, and they are looking for one spot on the rock and it's everywhere that's low lying. Um, and near water is is a feminine vortex. Anything that has a 360 view from the top is a masculine vortex. But then I can get into a, a whole lecture about vortexes if you want sometime. <laughs> well, let me just ask this. If I or somebody was standing in a vortex, what would we feel? Again, I always tell people to get down onto the ground because I don't know that standing you would feel quite intensely what you would feel if you were on the rock itself, when you, if you were laying down or sitting down. Um, in a feminine vortex, there's an overwhelming feeling of that 
things being drawn out of your body. So it's a place of, I go to help people release negative energies and entities. Um, masculine vortex, you're charging up and you can feel the vibration on the bottom of your feet. So one has a pulling feeling and the other has a, a charging feeling. Speaking about vortexes, I just remembered that you mentioned that there was a portal inside the Lavender Mobile Home earlier today. Can you tell us more about that? Okay. Um, the, I have. I actually have found other portals in Sedona as well. And if you go to, there's one down um, in the, the Red Rock Crossing area and the um the portal to the other side there's like a purple or a blue depending on how the sun is hitting it um haze that allows you to look into the other side um and that is what they mean by a portal it's how you can um I would say, um, I don't want to use the, the word tele, telepath, but go through this opening, so to speak, to awaken your third eye. It's kind of like a purple fog and you can kind of see through the fog? Yes. Have you ever crossed through the portal? Yes. And so when you cross through, where are you? In a fugue state, more or less, where um, you feel your body floating and you can connect with spirit guides. Um, one of the things I used to do that Stan did is draw portraits of spirit guides. It, it, it I had to charge a lot of money and I'm somebody that wants to make things affordable for people in this day and age. So um, I think I'm very reasonably priced. But when I did the sport, when I did the drawings, I had to at least do an hour and a half for people. So it started to get pricey. Um, but I'm an artist as well. Um, so when I went through the portal onto the other side, I... Um, I was able to communicate with whatever guides or um, in one case, there there is a, a rock formation in Sedona where um, there's a portal and on the other side were Native American spirits that got trapped there. Um, there was an Apache trail of tear, tears here in, in this Sedona area where the Yavapai and Apache Indians were marched in the middle of the winter and they lost livestock, they lost elderly, they lost children. And these warriors that I channel in this particular, at uh, this particular portal um, are stuck there because they died on the rock, but they didn't win. They didn't win the battle. They ended up being put on the reservation with blending to both nomadic Indians with um, farmers and, and um, um, landlocked Indians speaking two different languages. Can you compare what it's like 
in the portal to being on the other side during an NDE, especially like when you went through the tunnel? Well, it, it was it's it, the the portal isn't wasn't quite as a profound or um, feeling of um, I'm like I said I'm sort of in a fugue state um, half in half out of my body and when I had an when I had NDEs I was completely out of my body. So I think that was the major difference between the two. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Absolutely. What's the best way to contact you? Uh, 480-369-1070. Text. (laughs) Do you have a website? I have a website. It's intuitivementalhealthcounselor.com um, slash about dot HTML. There's a lot of intuitive mental health counselors out there. So you have to put the about and then the HTML to get to my website. Or you can just type in Lori Reddington and she, I will pop up because I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, and I have a website. So um, Sedona Sacred Past comes up as well um, because it has been in existence for so long, which is the tour and travel company. And I still, I'm open to doing tours too. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? There is life on the other side. Um, Don't be in a hurry to get there. Fulfill, do something to help you feel fulfilled in this lifetime. Find the job that you love, find the person that you love, and stay in a place of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Those things are the keys to happiness inside and out. Lori, thank you for that message, and thank you for being my guest. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.